Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be opening up the Salt and Light Hope Chest and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the winter of 2017-2018. We start by speaking with Bishop Ignatius Wong. He's a retired auxiliary bishop of San Francisco and the first Chinese bishop of the United States. He has hope for China-Vatican relations. After that, we meet singer-songwriter Cooper Ray. In our second half hour, Deacon Dennis Lambert tells us about his novel, The Table, and we speak about the challenges in publishing Catholic fiction, and we end the show by reconnecting with the full armor band that has a new album, The Things That Last. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org radio, and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook or Twitter. We begin now with Bishop Ignatius Wong. I've heard so much about how it's against the law to be Catholic in China and that there is an underground Catholic church in China. But my next guest says that it's not that simple and it's not as hopeless. To find out more about this and to learn a bit from his wisdom, earlier this week I spoke with Auxiliary Bishop Emeritus of San Francisco, Bishop Ignatius Wong. Bishop Wong, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for being with us uh, today in our studio. Um, you were born in China. You were telling me earlier that you're 12 generations Catholic in your family. Yes. That's amazing. So there there are a lot of Catholic, the Catholic Church or the Catholic faith has been in China for many, many, many centuries. Yes. Tell me a bit about that. Oh, well, yes. And the, how did we become Catholic? You know, Matthew Ritchie went to China mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he began to adopt the Chinese customs. He first of all, he studied Chinese, not only superficially, but really profoundly. Mm-hmm. Not only the language, but the culture. So then he can transfer that into the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of people, a lot of especially scholarly mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. followed him because he was there and uh, uh, introducing both East and West. So that's how many Catholics began at that age. Mm-hmm. Of course, that was long ago. That was long ago. But even when you were growing up, being Catholic was normal. You grew up in a Catholic community. Oh, yes. You'd go to Mass on Sunday. Oh, yes. You had priests that were friends of yes. the family. So what changed? Uh, well, uh, during the communist 10 years, cultural revolution, Yeah. a lot of persecution, um, a lot of... Uh, Priests and laity were tortured for no reason at all. That, of course, including members of my own family. Mm-hmm. But after the Cult Revolution, so they began to loosen up quite a bit. They returned a lot of uh, the properties to the uh, to the church. Okay. And so we have to be satisfied with what we have. Sometimes they say, "Well, you still owe us more." Uh, but really, you can't argue that. No. If you look at uh, Europe, uh, same thing happened in the history. Mm-hmm. You see, the government came in and took away all the properties and all that, and then government changes, and so the society changes. Right. So we have to thank God for what we have and work with what we have. So what is the the the, 
the gov- the current government, the communist government in China, what are they concerned about with Catholicism? Well, they don't want any Western influence in Chinese culture. Okay. Uh, not entirely without reason. Uh, we see previously during the Qing Dynasty, the end of Qing Dynasty, 100 years ago, uh, the foreign nations were invading China following the Opium War. Uh-huh. And uh, so that's why they can't tolerate those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, of course, the Opium War was over and all that was over. And then followed by the Japanese invasion. Mm-hmm. During Japanese invasion, again, uh, there's some German missionaries. Good intention, of course, because the Germans, they're friendly with Japanese. Right. That helps them with their mission. Many people, uh, missionaries, cannot travel too easily, mm-hmm. but they'll provide transportation for their nursery for their, uh, you know, missionary work yeah. as well as uh, the work of charity. Yeah. So they enjoyed that, but then after the war, mm-hmm. they became traitors, you see. Right. That gave another reason uh-huh. for China to persecute foreigners. Right, so they're not just persecuting the Catholic Church, they're persecuting a lot of other people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now, even you yourself as a Catholic, and I, I guess as a priest and now as a bishop, you are treated as a foreigner. Oh, yes. Even though you were born there. Yeah, I was born there. And uh, w- when I go back to Beijing, actually, I don't see too many the original Chinese uh, Beijing people like myself. No. All, you know, during the Cultural Revolution and after that, we were chased out. Okay. We were chased out to see those government people, established government there, so they brought in a lot of the, uh, people. Mm-hmm. And so the people changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, often they say, oh, I'm from Beijing, I'm from Beijing. Uh, but we don't think they are, really are. Right. And after I talk with them for a few minutes, they agree they're not really from here. Right. Yes. But you, you've been in San Francisco for many, many years, so you probably found more people from Beijing than in San Francisco than you do in Beijing. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> that's one place I find uh, yes. people in Beijing. Another pi- people, uh, place I find Beijing people was in uh, Inner Mongolia. Oh, really? Many of them kind of exiled so over there, there, so-called volunteers, mm-hmm. that including my sister. She was a nurse. Uh-huh. They wanted to have a hospital there. So they, they they need her. You go. Right. Uh, th- that's during the Cultural Revolution. Right. So-called volunteer. Okay. When you come down the train, big banner, welcome volunteers. Yes. <laughs> so Yes. And so she went there. Her husband happened to be a teacher. Well, we don't need teacher there. You stay in Beijing. Okay, so, yeah. Oh, isn't that hard? Huh. So every year, by government favor, you have two weeks, Chinese uh, New Year vacation. You have two weeks together every year. <laughs> that's very I mean, you think that's easy? No. No. So they had two kids, uh, one born in Beijing, the other born in, in Mongolia. Mongolia. 
But then afterwards, she was so used to Mongolia,、mm. she didn't want to go back to Beijing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now, well,、oh, she passed away just a, a year ago. Yes, her husband still lives in、uh, in Mongolia.、Uh, the kids,、uh, he says, I don't want to go back to Beijing. Here is more comfortable. Right. So they're accustomed so to they that. So they just got so there. You go there. You taste some genuine、mm, Beijing food.、Mm, interesting, as well as a language. I I feel that you way. You feel,、so. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Now, how does then the this idea of an underground church or an illegal church or a compared to the the patriotic church? I guess the government established Catholic church. How does that work? Well, first of all, there's no patriotic church. It's called Patriotic Association. Okay. They will run the church somehow. Okay. They control the church somehow. And they ordain their own bishops. How does that work?、Uh, well, again, see, most bishops now, except four or five, I think, are ordained with permission from both sides, from Rome and from China, the Chinese government. government. Yes.、Uh, there must be some negotiation to agree. Uh, you know, they select、uh, not too, you know, extreme ones. So, little compromise here and there. So that's、mm-hmm. how it is. So, if I went to Beijing, let's say, to visit, I could go to mass on Sunday at a, at the cathedral. Absolutely. And that mass would be a valid mass. Valid and licit. And licit. Yes, absolutely. So, so the stories that I've heard about people that have mass in their home. The un quote unquote underground mass that that also exists. Yes, and so these are people that maybe don't want to support what the government is. That's、supporting. right. They think they are just the government run people, and we follow the pope. They don't follow the pope; they follow the government. Okay, which is not really correct. No, so that's not your experience. No, no, no. Underground church doesn't mean unseen. They are above ground, physically. Yes. I have a relative、uh, who's a priest. He called himself underground priest. Well, he passed away a few years ago. Yes, he has church building <laughs> on top of the church, a big cross, and there's a and belfry. <laughs> on Sunday, he will come and pull the, the bell, pull the rope, and ring the bell. So it's not really underground. You call that underground? No, no. So this not really.、So、But would it, would it would it would it operate under the watchful eye? Absolutely. Oh yes. So the government is watching. Oh yes. And could they at any moment say you can't do what you're doing? Oh no. 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 They're always watching. Yes. And just before the uh, uh, Olympic Games. Yes. Government came to him. No, not government.、Uh, The、uh, the church, the patriotic association. Yes. The bishop wants to build a new church for you here.、Mm-hmm. He's oh no, that's not for me.、Uh, we, his ch- parish, halfway between Beijing City and the Great Wall. Right. During the Olympic Games, of course, a lot of people will be traveling that way. Yes. How nice it is to have a to building have a、nice、here. Church. Yes. Catholic Church. Yes. How nice we, yes, for, for people、tourists. to see.、Absolutely. See, we have freedom religion. Look at this. Yes. He says that's why. But then he got the church. He objected, but, but that, I don't think he should, should object. Interesting. Of course. Yeah. First, 
frustrating. He wasted his time. Yes. The church is there. Yeah. Bishop, we have very, about 30 seconds left, but I want to maybe ask you in closing, what is your hope for the Church of China and maybe Chinese and Vatican relations? Oh, there's always hope. Oh, yes. The church built on hope. Mm-hmm. Always difficulties, but always hope. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Thank you very much for bringing us a little bit of that hope. Thank you. That was a conversation I had with Bishop Ignatius Wong earlier this week. Bishop Wong was the first Chinese bishop ordained in the United States. He was the Auxiliary Bishop of San Francisco for 15 years. He was here in our Salt and Light Hour studio this past week. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Cooper Ray, with the title track of his new album, Anywhere For You. If you lead me to the water, if you say be still, I will drink from mercy's river till my heart is filled. If you lead me to the desert far from comfort's reach, I'll embrace the wilderness, singing of your holiness. And I will go anywhere for you. I will go anywhere for you. You walk salvation's road. You went as far as love could go. And I will go Anywhere for you 
That was Cooper Ray with Anywhere For You from his album of the same name. Cooper Ray received his call to ministry over 20 years ago while serving as a counselor at a Catholic summer camp. Little did he know that that experience would lead him into a career of full-time youth and music ministry. In 2014, Cooper released his first solo album produced by Tom Booth, Wake the Dawn. Now he has just released his second album, which we've been listening to, Anywhere For You. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by Cooper Ray from his home in Dallas. Cooper, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi, thank you. It's good to be here. It is, finally. I know. I, I hate it when I have to say that someone's been doing you know, a ministry for 20 years and you're just coming on my show now. <laughs> well, you know, that's... It, you know, but to be all fair, I mean, you know, I've had music for 20 years, so... That's true, um, that's true, that's yeah. true. But uh, I, I, I do have Wake the Dawn, your first album, and oh, uh, I don't know, I, I've had it, and in fact, it's part of my library, and, and when I learned that you had just released a second album, I thought, wait, well, how come we never talked about Wake the Dawn with him? So I'm going to just say that it just... I tried and tried and tried, and Cooper just never responded to me. No, and it was just so busy. It's so busy, said. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll just blame it on Steve Angrisano. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, so Cooper, well, um, tell me a little bit about... Uh, our listeners are, are, are just maybe hearing about you for the first time. We've been hearing some of your music throughout the program, but tell us a little bit about you. What was it like... Growing up, are you from the South? Did you grow up in a Catholic family? What was it growing up in the in the Ray household? Yeah, yeah. I grew up uh, actually in a little town outside of Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah, I grew up in a Catholic family, um, you know, very devout. Uh, my my mom was like the rock. My dad was more of the, the, the role model. In fact, he didn't even convert, convert to Catholicism until I was 11 years old. Oh, so. really? What was he? Uh, that's a good question. Nothing. Uh, I yeah, think good. I think Methodist, yeah, or something. <laughs> so, um, but he didn't practice his faith. You know, he always no. came with us. So he was always that that presence, even though he wasn't um, in the faith. He still was there with us every single right. Sunday. So that was a that was a huge impact on me. That uh-huh. just the example of of that fatherly role model, even though he even was though not he in wasn't the at the time. So yeah, and then um, the fact yeah. that he converted, I guess, was also would have been you know, an interesting experience for the whole family, no? Oh, yeah, that was huge. It was huge. It just it just validated it for me even more. So did, did you ever go as a teenager, like through that or that, that sort of rebellious adolescence or doubting period or anything like that with your faith? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. I, I, when, you know, junior high and, yeah. and high school, you, I, I was in that same boat. You know, like people would go, oh, Cooper, you know, you're so good and everything like that. But inside, I mean, I was struggling just like everybody else, and, mm. you know, and, and kind of went through a, a period of kind of falling away from the church when I went off to college, you know, yeah. kind of had those first couple of years of freedom and and in the experience of, well, if I don't, my my parents aren't making me go to church, so um, yeah. I guess if it's inconvenient for me to, to get to a church to go to Mass, then I'm not going to go. Right. And, um, and so, sure, yeah, I mean, just like a lot of people, and then I had a conversion my my junior year in college uh, got more involved with, or, or I guess a conversion, a, a reinvigoration yeah, of yeah, my yeah. faith, and um, and got more involved with uh, the Catholic Student Association, and got involved with a couple of Protestant um, organizations on right. campus, and really just like poured myself in, um, in a, for the first time in my life in a very real way into um, who Jesus is and into Scripture and into the why behind my Catholic faith, mm-hmm. and really started to ask those questions. Not from a um, doubting, but more of like, 
why why is it that my family brought me up into this faith? There's got to be something about this. There's got to be something about the people in my life who who has who have remained Catholic and you know have mm-hmm. gone on yeah. uh, to promote the faith. Why? Why? And so as yeah. I started to answer those questions, I, I fell more and more in love with the church. Mm-hmm. Were you already doing music? Uh, a little bit. I I had worked at a, a summer camp, like it says, yeah. like you intro in the bio and. I was already two years into being a summer camp counselor, and I started to learn how to play the guitar. And we mentioned Steve Angersano. Yeah. He, was, uh, he worked at the camp um, on, on a part-time basis. He would come out for the teen weeks. And so right. when he would come out, we would sit down, and he would show me some songs. So I was learning how to play, learning how to lead um, uh, kind of like the fun icebreaker-type songs and learning a little bit about worship music. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so all the while, as I'm kind of getting to that place of, of reinvigorating right. my faith, I'm, I'm actually starting to find that, um, that passion and that light uh, in the music that I was playing. That's great. And learning from Steve Angersano. I mean, that's that, how cool is that? Although that was awesome. He, w- yeah. he was already like 50 years old, and you were still like <laughs> no. five, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so you learned to play guitar already when you were in college. You weren't, did you, was, didn't do music as growing up in, at home? Your parents I, didn't make you I did, I just lessons? didn't play the guitar. I mean, I... Oh, okay. I played the piano and I played the viola and I played the oh, cello wow. and unfortunately I didn't keep up with even any of those <laughs> viola which is pretty now cool. would be really awesome yeah you know? uh, and you were the guitar is it yeah. made it easy and you know, you, were you singing it. did you sing like in the church choir or anything like that yeah well you know I, I the I went to a Catholic school when I lived in Kentucky and yeah. uh, <clears throat> I was one of two guys that were that was in the school choir uh. and um you know, it got us out of class, which was kind of cool. Yeah, it got us around girls, which was kind of cool. Of course, of course. And then, um, and I really didn't, I didn't uh, do a whole lot of singing, uh, you know, like formal singing uh, with the choir once, like we moved to Texas between my seventh and eighth grade year. And yeah. so when we moved to Texas, I just kind of, all that kind of fell off. I didn't, I didn't join the school choir or anything like that right. when I went on to high school. But, uh, you know, music was always just part of, uh, you know, in my life. And so when I got to camp, then I got an opportunity to start using that, that right. to start really pushing that forward a little bit. Right. And then you're, I mean, your first, like you said, the, the composing or at least the putting out albums is a fairly recent thing for you. Right. Um, so was that when you started writing music? So Wake the Dawn, which was what, three years ago, four years ago. Right. Um, was that the first time you were composing music? How did that come about? Sort of, yeah. The um, so the the first time I ever wrote, I actually was a uh, part of a, a duo uh, acoustic slash acoustic guitar slash harmonica duo with a buddy of mine at the camp. Yeah, named Luke Johnson. Uh-huh. Um, and so we were called Lulu and the Bee. We actually made a tape. Back in the days of tapes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> and so we wrote songs together. But Luke was more of the lyricist in that, and I was more of the let me let me find a guitar tune that you can yeah, yeah, onto. Yeah. But then when it came to the actual composing of the music for Wake the Dawn, uh, that came out of a necessity uh, as I was traveling around and doing um, retreats and mm-hmm. parish missions and conferences and stuff. People go, "Oh my gosh, your voice is great. Do you have a CD?" And I'm like, "No, I don't." And that right. I, I I must have heard that for a couple of years before yeah. it just kind of sunk in. I was like, "Oh, you know what? I should actually maybe write music for a CD." So so that's what I did. And so Wake the Dawn yeah. was the product of of kind of a request from, no, from my audiences. Yeah. 
uh, it was self-published. I, I okay. went out and, and did the whole. I did the whole thing myself, financed it and everything. Um, and that was my my beautiful wife Laura. She was like, "We need to do this, and we're going to put some money aside to make this happen." And okay, so, okay. But Tom Booth, right? Uh, I interviewed three people, and Tom Booth was a guy who I was like, "I don't know this guy, but I love him. He's he's so great, he's so wonderful, and um, he was the right fit for me." And so after we finished it, he looked at me and he was like, "Hey, dude, uh, I, if it's okay with you, I'd like to pitch this to OCP, to Oregon Catholic Press." And I said. Yeah, I, I go, just as long as they know that the reason I went, and you know that the reason I went with you was not so that, oh, wouldn't that uh, be awesome if yeah. I got OCP to to pick up my my, my CD for a distribution. Right. And, and, you know, I just wanted to write music, and Tom was the right guy. It just happened to be that he liked it and happened to be connected to OCP. There was no ulterior motive when I chose him in the first place. Right, that's great. No, and he is, he, is, uh, he is good, so distributed by Oregon Catholic Press. Um, in the little time that we have left, uh, I don't want to not talk about the new album because, I mean, right. this is anywhere for you. What would you say is different about this album for you? Uh, for me, it was the intentionality with which I wrote. Um, yeah. I was writing uh, to write songs for the church specifically that the church would want to sing, that the church would want to pray with, that the church would want to use in liturgy. Yeah. Um, so there was there was definitely uh, an intention in that. And there was also an intention of not making it about me. Um, so only one song is mine yeah. by itself. The rest of the songs, I, yeah, I got... prayed about who I could write with. Amazing. So I wrote with Tom, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Tom. got Sarah Hart, Tom, Tom Booth again, Josh Blakesley. Yeah, this is like a who's who of. Uh, that's great. Yeah, Ben Walther. I just ben Walther, and it was yeah. like the songs came to a different place because I wanted to bring them into it, and I didn't want the songs to be about me. I wanted to be the some of the songs to rise, and 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 have their own identity and of, of themselves. So these are songs that you uh, that can be used in liturgy. Is that how you envision it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a couple of songs there that might not necessarily be able to use. Like, This Place in My Heart is more of a kind of a very easygoing, let me just yeah. sing this song on my front porch. But the majority of the songs I, um, have a place in liturgy, without a doubt, and that's where I've been using them. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I, I love it. I love it. I mean, this is a great album, and I love the fact that Thanks. it's collaborations. I love collaborations, and these are all great mm -hmm. artists. Um, it's not a huge album. There's seven tracks. Um, but I, I hope that people are uh, intrigued enough to go get it and to sing the songs. If it's published by Oregon Catholic Press, it's probably a songbook somewhere out there with sheet music. So uh, um, that's always very helpful for people. Yes. Um, Cooper, great having you on the show. Nice chatting with you, meeting you officially, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. I will. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being on. You can learn more about Cooper Ray, purchase his music, or book him for your next event at his website, cooperray.com. His new album, Anywhere For You, is published by Oregon Catholic Press. Here now is Cooper Ray with We Come Alive from his new album, Anywhere For You. We stood in this land with the dust upon our hands In the dry of a desert we called home From our death you lifted us Breath of life Resurrecting these dry bones You breathe in us Give us strength we never knew 
We're listening to Cooper Ray with We Come Alive from his album Anywhere For You. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. It's hard when people speak about Catholic novels, Catholic authors, or Catholic publishing to know what they mean. Is it a novel that deals with Catholic themes, or is it a novel whose express purpose is to evangelize and teach people about the faith? Is it a, a novel that just happens to be written by someone who's Catholic? These are some questions that Deacon Dennis Lambert had to deal with when trying to publish his novel, The Table. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Deacon Dennis Lambert. Deacon, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Yeah, thank you, Deacon. I appreciate you uh, allowing me on your show. Yeah, this is great. So, so tell us a bit about the book. What is the table about? What's the novel about? Well, the story—it's actually kind of two stories in one that that kind of meet up in a very interesting way. Uh, the first story, if you will, is about a table, as you can imagine. Yeah, uh, which was built by the grandfather of Jesus. Now, the story goes and follows the table from its construction all the way to current times. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you'd have to agree, Deacon, that that has to be one well-built table then, right? Yes. Well, at least, <laughs> yeah, I was going to, yes, at least part of the table yeah. <laughs> makes it to yeah. the, yes. Exactly. Well, don't give it all away now. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, in, in the story, though, we, we see that, we see Jesus encountering the table on several occasions. When he's a child, he actually plays beneath it. It appears again with him at the wedding feast of Cana. And then, sadly, at a scourging. Yeah. And then, after the death of Jesus, the apostles appoint a former centurion named Cornelius to become the table's first table bearer, or that's the title they give this individual. Right. And then, armed armed with a mission, Cornelius and his descendants then carry that out that mission out with impeccable dedication. And in the process, the table brings peace and healing to to just about anyone who encounters it. And the other story, which again is juxtaposed together with this one, is the story of a man named Michael Fortunato. He's in his early 30s, living in modern times. And at the very moment that he makes his breakthrough in the music industry, Michael loses the only thing, aside from God, that really mattered to him in this life, and that was his wife, Debbie. Mm-hmm. The loss sends Michael into the center of darkness he, he just seemed to can't get out of. That is until he meets the current table bearer, which is an autistic young man named Anthony, a table and a story that is over 2,000 years old. So right, that's right. the table in short. That's right. And he doesn't know that he's a table bearer. Um, so, so how did you come up with this idea? What was your inspiration for these, these two stories, well, I, was, I guess? I was very intrigued by the whole idea of the story. Paul's the one who has a sick, sick daughter, and he goes to Jesus and says, you know, Jesus, my, my daughter is ill, you know. He's a healer, and Jesus pretty much says, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. Okay, let's go. Let me take me to your house. And he he says again those famous wor- words, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed, or not my soul, but yes. his daughter would be healed. And I was always intrigued about what happened to the centurion after this encounter with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a little digging in, in tradition, and there is too much of a backstory to him. So I just kind of took that idea of a, of a centurion you know, who had an inward, you know, yearning for truth and was, was drawn in by the Lord and kind of went from there with it. Right. 
And and so the, and so that was your beginning point, and then the whole idea of the table came out of that. Correct. Right. And then what was your idea with having the two stories juxtaposed with you know a contemporary story and the story? I mean, in a way, it's the same story, but it's kind of two things happening at the same time. I'll be honest with you. I don't recall how I came up with it. That was a few years back when I started in on it. Um, but uh, hopefully it works. You know, I drew a little bit on my own experience uh, mm-hmm. you know, in modern times and some of the things that, not that my wife ever passed away, but right. I just drew on some, some experiences. And I, I just like the way that, that, again, going back and forth and then having these two stories actually meet up. Right. What would you say... Uh, you're, and you're the author, so what would you say is the purpose of this novel? Well, the purpose, as I see it, is we should always be evangelizing. Yeah. And fiction, you know, again, usually when people think of Catholic literature, they, they think of the more spiritual, academic, life's about, life about saints. Yeah. Um, all these things that, that, I, that, that, of course, draw me to be closer to the Lord. But fiction is, is an area, too, that has the same capacity, and, and I feel is kind of under utilized or kind of under the radar currently within, within our Catholic um, publishing and literature world. So again, and I, my hope is that, it, again, it can fan, fan the flames of faith for anyone who reads it and draws somebody closer and closer to Jesus in a, in a different venue than what, what most people think about in terms of Catholic publication. So you would say it's, it's Catholic fiction because its express purpose is to bring people closer to their Catholic faith or to learn about the Catholic faith? Well, yes and no. Um, it's Catholic in the sense that the characters yeah. are, are definitely Catholic. The Eucharist is central to it, and this is very different to the, the predominant landscape in what we could call Christian or inspirational fiction, mm-hmm. where, you know, where again, that those things are largely absent. They're usually strongly evangelical, uh, more pr- obviously Protestant. In fact, one of the biggest obstacles I had in publishing this was overcoming that bias. You know, I've back from some, again, the, the larger Christian publishers that, hey, I love your book, you know, if you're willing to take everything Catholic out of it, you know, right. you publish. Yeah. So it's, it was a real experience. Yeah, sorry, Dennis, you're cutting out a little bit, so I'm gonna, uh, and I was going to ask you about the challenges, if you don't mind repeating. So you were saying that you, you approached a lot of Christian publishers, and they were not comfortable with the Catholic aspects of your book. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, I, I have one, again, the flat out said, if you take everything out, out of it that's Catholic, we, we'd be happy to publish it. So definitely a strong bias, you know, that that's out there in the larger market. And thankfully, there are Catholic publishers actually now doing fiction, but the reality, Deacon, is there are so few Catholic publishers in general, and the ones that are out there, you know, many of them don't do much or any publishing of actual fiction. Yeah, so that is true. avoid there. Yeah, that's true. We've we've dealt with this subject on this show uh, before. So you ended up finding a publisher and route. Are they a Catholic Correct. publisher? Yes, they are. They're a small Catholic publisher out of St. Louis. They're just totally Catholic. Um, in fact, ten percent of everything that they make it's uh, donated to pro life causes. Just wow. just an outstanding group. I'm glad I found them. Um, but in line, it, you know. Definitely my wish is that there could be more outlets for, for Catholic authors, because it is very, very light, uh, and that's where we run into, again, if you're a Catholic and you want some good literature, there's nothing wrong with these other books, but they don't reflect entirely our, our faith. 
Right. And it's good to have it where you can, you, someone can talk openly about the Eucharist in a story, you know, and not have, again, a publisher or an editor from a, a larger Christian uh, publishing company take those things out, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Would you think that there are so few Catholic publishers or publishers publishing Catholic fiction because there are so many few authors writing Catholic fiction? You know, that is the, that's the million-dollar question. I don't know if that's the case. Um, it's Again, the question might really be, is there a market for it? Because, yeah. again, I spent my, my professional career in the business world in marketing, and I know if there was a market for something, there would be there. So is there a question, are there people there wanting this? Or is there a lot of people wanting it, but it's not there, so they have to default to an alternative, you know, the more Protestant-type uh, inspirational stories. It's kind of the chicken of the day. The best analogy I could, could speak to is, like, uh, Christ, contemporary Christian music. It's, yeah. it's dominated, you know, by, by Protestants. There was a huge bias, thank God, for, for, for Matt Maher breaking through, mm-hmm. you know, but... Aside from him, I mean, there's a lot of great Catholic musicians out there, but you don't hear them on K-Love. You know? No, you don't. You, um, you hear them on this program, though. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but that's the yeah, thing. You know, yeah. It's so. the same with Catholic, when, you know, Christian films, and there's the big resurgence now with Christian-themed films because the, the industry has recognized that there's a market, um, but not all of them have, as you say, expressly Catholic characters or Catholic uh, uh, ideas in it. Would you then say that... Or rather, how how can readers support Catholic fiction and encourage writers to write Catholic fiction? Like, how can we encourage that more? Well, first of all, it would be by actually seeking out, you know, these publications. I mean, looking, Googling, you know, Catholic fiction. Because, again, most points of purchase or where people would normally go to buy these things they're not there. They're going to have to look for the Loyola Presses yes. and some of the other ones and just Googling and, again, start consuming it. Yeah. Um, again, it's the law of supply and demand. Um, we need to pull it through. But I think the first thing is that there has to be a greater awareness of its availability, mm-hmm. and we need to pray. Because, again, there are many large Catholic publishers who put out great books but don't have any avenue for fiction at all. Yeah, you know, that's that, that door starts to open up a little bit more. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to leave it there because we're out of time. But thank you for this conversation. It's a conversation, as I said, we've had before, and I'm sure we're going to continue because it's it's important and it's relevant. And thank you for writing the book. Uh, deacon Dennis Lambert uh, is a permanent deacon for the Diocese of Phoenix. His novel, The Table, is published by Enroute uh, Publishing, and you can find out more at their website, enroutemedia.com. So that's E-N-R-O-U-T-E media, M-E-D-I-A dot com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Deacon, thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, Thank you, Deacon Pedro. Appreciate it very much. Here now is our featured band of the week, Full Armored Band with Blind from their new album, The Things That Last. Sunset fading fast In the light that shines in her evening eye 
can't find you, take off your disguise And the songs I sing and the prayers I pray Get drowned out in my day to day On this lonely path on which I tread Doubt becomes my daily bread I must be blind as a beggar I must be proud as a wicked Pharisee I must be deaf, I must be lame This poison flows through all my veins I forged every link in my own chains Still I'm dying to hear you call out my name And the wind it whispers through old oak trees As the bird and the brook write their symphony Thoughts run wild in my cluttered mind I was born to seek but I'm afraid to find I must be blind as a beggar I must be proud as a wicked Pharisee I must be deaf, I must be lame this poison flows through all my veins And I forged every link in my own chains Still I'm dying to hear you call out my name That was the Full Armor Band with Blind from their new album, The Things That Last. The Full Armor Band was formed 12 years ago when the band was asked to lead music for a new youth mass in their hometown of Middletown, New York. But they're not your typical church music group. They've published five albums, but the last three, which they still sell, What Love Is, None the Same, and now their latest is The Things That Last, 
to tell us more, I am now joined by Douglas Hutchings. Uh, I was going to say you're the front man, I guess, Doug, but the lead singer, maybe, of the Full Armor Band? That's the closest that we could get to it, I suppose. Um, we kind of split the vocals three ways. But yeah, you do, I know. Sadly, most of the talking on stage, yes. Do you do, <laughs> do, you do most of the songwriting? Um, so, funny thing, up until this record, um, this new one, um, I did do most of the songwriting. I'd say I did probably 80% of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this new CD, um, and it's one of the things that I've really loved about this new record, is um, everybody in the band kind of um, wrote every song. I mean, if you look at the um, actual liner notes of the record, um, it says all songs written by Douglas Hutchings, Tara Lakeman, um, mm-hmm. Matt Giuliano, and Francis Delinka, who are our four members. So that was a really cool new thing that we did where we kind of made every song a four-way co-write. And I think that kind of creates a more... Um, I don't know, a unified album that we can all really be excited right, about. Right, for sure. So how does that work? Did, does someone show up one day at practice and say, hey, I've got this idea for a song or I have these this melody and then you guys kind of all work on it or how does the process work generally? Exactly, yeah. I mean, every song on this one was a little different. Like uh, Blind, the one we just uh, listened to was um, Francis, um, our guitar player, showed up with it one day and, mm-hmm. and it was probably, that song was probably 70% done. I mean, he had done so much with it and it was... You know, it was just a few lyrical things that we changed. Um, so right. that one, you know, was very much him, but we all kind of gave it a little bit of our own. There were other ones where, you know, we started with nothing and it was just the four of us in a room. And there were some where, you know, Tara would show up with a lyric and we would add music. So every song was really different. Um, but, you know, we, we really made the effort to put each of ourselves in every song. Which right. Was a and did tough, you... S- but a good way to do it. Yeah, it is. Uh, do you set out to do an album or it was just kind of just songs and songs and then at some point you said hey we have enough songs here for an album yeah you know i think when you when you set out to make an album at the beginning it, it's not as good as it is if you just naturally <laughs> kind of yeah create songs so i mean every time we make a record i always in my mind say yeah this is probably the last one even though i know it's right. probably not the last one but mm-hmm. um i think that mindset helps you just kind of go out and continue you know making music writing music experiencing people and and life and writing songs. And I think without the pressure of, oh, we have to put together an album, oh, we need one more upbeat song, or, oh, we don't have enough ballads or whatever, you know, I think that goes away if you're just thinking, let's write good songs, you know? Right. Did you, um, do you still find that the songs end up being themed in a way just because of where you guys are at in your stage of life or yeah, what's happening? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, and that's when, you know, when you get closer to actually being done with an album, that's when you have to kind of make those decisions and look at the songs and say, you know, we have you know a few here that maybe don't fit with the theme. Right. Um, but generally, I'll say, uh, Deacon, it's it's so funny when you focus kind of on writing and not about what the end product is going to be right away. I think the songs naturally just fit a theme because yeah. life is often you know yeah. Yeah. Uh, fitting themes at different times in your life. So yeah, for sure. So why did you pick that title, the things that so last. the things that last? It's kind of based on First uh, Corinthians, you know, the whole thing with the things that last in our life, our faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I kind of go at it from this place. Uh, our last CD was called None the Same, and we kind of made it when we were finishing college or just out of college, you know, 22, 23. Wow. Very optimistic, you know, excited about life, kind of excited about the, the charge to go out and serve. You know, if you listen to the songs on that album, it's very much about um, calling and going out there in this kind of excited optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that last kind of takes you five years later where, you know, you're still trying to live that, but now you're maybe 25, 26, 27, 29 in my case. Right. <laughs> um, and it's not as easy as it was. Um, you know, you experience life, you experience death, you experience, um, you know, loss, loss of friendship, loss of uh, band members, loss mm-hmm. of uh, clients if you're in business, loss of 
health. You know, there's a million things, things that don't last in life. And, and I feel like those things can really take a toll on you, especially when it comes to living out calling and, and, and feeling, um, you know, that you can go out and follow your mission in, in life. Um, and so I think um, the things that last kind of, yeah, I mean, it was definitely, you know, continuing that calling, um, but with a little bit more of a realistic um, approach where, wow, you know, life is tough and, and there's a lot of things that are going to hinder us, but um, there are three things that we can count on, faith, hope, and love, and ultimately those come from God. Do you think, we just finished having a conversation about Catholic publishing novels, and, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, I mean, I always ask myself the same question about music. Do you, because you're, I mean, I would never think that your your songs, I mean, you're a Catholic group, you're, you're you you maybe have a specific intent for how your music or you want your music to be used or how you want your music to touch people. But would you say that it's a Catholic album? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, if you're going to be, you know, Catholic in definition means universal. And yeah. um, the thing about this record is I think it, you know, at least I've heard from people, you know, I have friends that are really Catholic and I have friends that are really the opposite of Catholic, you know, and I think um, all of the, everybody that's listened to it has kind of said, you know, it feels very human. It feels real. Mm-hmm. Um beyond just a, quote, you know, religious level. And, and I think that was nice to hear because Catholic is human. It's beyond just religion. It's, it's universal. Um, and so the things we experience and the things in our lives, yes, from a Catholic perspective, we're going to, you know, respond and, and handle those situations in a specific way. Um, but life, you know, life is Catholic. Struggle and, and hmm. heartache and, and beauty and joy, those are all Catholic things, you know, whether you're using the word God and Jesus in the song or not, you know. So I, I hope that that reflects. Yeah, in the song. I think it does. Um, what would you say is different about this album for you guys? Well, uh, a lot. I, I mean, first, certainly the songwriting style. Um, the production for, process was so fun for us. Um, our um, our bass player, who, who who we don't count him as a regular band member, but he may as well be because he tours with us most of the time. He's a guy named uh, Brandon Morrison. He's just one of the most talented musicians that we've ever worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a close friend. He actually, he was on tour with uh, Donald Fagan from Steely Dan this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's just, you know, we really think he's a cool guy and he's just our great friend. And um, he produced the record and it was super cool because he kind of, um, you know, he had access to just amazing, you know, studio musicians, but also allowed us to kind of, you know, really uh, put ourselves onto the record. So we got to spend time, you know, in the studio and, and work through songs and make sounds that we kind of wanted to, create and not feel as, you know, stifled by, oh, we got two hours in the studio today or we're right. know, paying overtime or all, all that kind of stuff. So um, I think creatively we were able to really uh, take a lot more chances and kind of try things. Um, and certainly, you know, thematically and spiritually, I think it's, you know, the songs are just more honest. It's more real. It's uh, more adult if, if you're going to look at it that way, as opposed to kids coming out of uh, high school. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. You, that's what you were saying. You're, you guys yeah. are in a different place. Um, I, I know that you started out as a as a church band, you know, playing for youth mass. You're you've also moved on a little bit from that. Do you do you still see? Yeah. So your... when we, I mean, we initially got our start, I, I guess, twelve years ago. I was a senior in high school. Wow. Um, and I'm turning thirty in May, so hmm. you can do the math. Uh, it's been a while. And um, yeah, about the first four years, that was pretty much our our gig. Was we would do Sunday mass with each other um, at the same parish, this uh, great parish in. Um, Orange County, Middletown, New York, mm-hmm. and um, we did that for years, and then we would you know, play coffee houses and, and kind of wherever we could elsewhere when, you know, when we weren't uh, doing math. Uh, and then, you know, I, I went away to college, I went to school in Nashville, and, and you know, other band members kind of spread their wings a little bit, and so we weren't able to commit to the, the weekly mess, but, um, you know, we, we continued 
touring as a band and doing a lot more uh, events with our diocese and then, you know, other dioceses and, and around the country. And so what's cool is I think, you know, we're not still doing, um, you know, the, the Mass at the same church every week, but we're still taking a lot of the things we learned doing that. You know, every time we do an event, we're, you know, usually working with the choirs at the parishes we're at, you know, kind of uh, helping with their liturgies or, you know, doing workshops with their musicians or working with their youth or um, putting on concerts at a parish level. So a lot of the stuff we learn from doing parish ministry yeah. is definitely still a huge part of what we do. That's uh, great. Days. Yeah, and you're still, I mean, obviously writing music and you're still touring and stuff, so I want to let people know that if they're, I guess, anywhere in the Pennsylvania area or New York State or in Colorado, you have some dates, um, so they yeah, should go so to your our, website. Our tour dates are kind of always um, being added as they go. Um, so right now I know we have a bunch of stuff coming up in Pennsylvania in June, which is just random. I don't know why, but yeah, no, that's great. wanted us a lot in June, so <laughs> we're going there. And um, we're in New York, of course, so we have a few dates around here. We're going to be out in Colorado in, uh, I think, April. So, yeah, I, I'd yeah. say stay on the, the website, fullarmorband.com slash tour, and um, we're always adding stuff and always kind of trying to come to new areas. So. Absolutely. Anyway, so thank you for that, uh, Douglas. Great being in touch with you. I was very happy when you put out the new album because it was an excuse to get you back on the show. Yeah. Um, I, I love your music, so keep keep it up. Thank you, Deacon. And you do the same. You guys do great work over there. Thank you. You can learn more about the Full Armor Band at their website, fullarmorband.com. And again, if you're in the Pennsylvania, New York State, or Colorado areas, check out the tour dates on the website and because uh, they will be visiting a city near you. Here now is the Full Armor Band with Reach Out from their new album, The Things That Last. When the joy is running dry and smiles are hard to find she can't find the strength to love again The courage in your touch Can make all the difference In the healing of the pain So reach out your hands Reach out your hands, put them on the shoulder of a sister or a brother and reach out your hands. We're listening to the Full Armor Band with Reach Out from their album, The Things That Last. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Learn all about Salt and Light at our website, saltandlighttv.org. And when you're there, visit our show page, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. If you have any questions or comments, or just to say hello, reach out to me through Facebook or Twitter. I'm Deacon Pedro. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour.